you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We really appreciate you guys being here. For 15 years, we've been bringing all the billionaires, all the newsmakers, all the astronauts, the White House advisors, the, the Pulitzer Prize winners, all those people that uh, write the most amazing books and take you on the most amazing journeys of their life and stories and teach you how to be better, smarter, and maybe you can kind of learn from some of the mistakes or some of their stories in ways that you may need to either now or eventually in the future. Uh, that's the power of stories. They are the owner's manual of life when it really comes down to it. Because uh, I don't know about anybody else, but I didn't get mine in the mail. I'm still waiting for it to come, and I'm 55. So I kind of give up hope on that owner's manual to show up. I feel like the, what was that America's Greatest Hero or whatever uh, sitcom where you know, he's, he never got the owner's manual to the Superman suit. Uh, anyway, guys, we have an amazing gentleman on the show. He's the author of his uh, newest book that he just put out on December 27th, 2022. Uh, story, a journey about his life and what he went through with bipolar and everything else. Uh, he uh, put it out. It's called Teetering on a Tightrope. My Bipolar Journey came out December 27th, 2022. Stephen W. Wilson joins us on the show today. We'll be talking to him about his amazing book and journey. And boy, has he done it. Listen to this. Steve is 74. He's been married for 51 years. 51 years, people. I can't even make 51 minutes on a date. So there you go. Uh, he has three daughters and two granddaughters. Uh, he graduated from Rollins College Winter Park in Florida in 1970. He retired uh, from the custom clothing business in 2019. In 1978, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Since 2015, he has been facilitating two mental health support in Phoenix and Arizona, where he and his wife, Lenny, now reside. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you? Good, Chris. Thank you. And it's uh, great to have you on the show. Congratulations on the new book. Give us your dot coms. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, you can find uh, the book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It is not in regular bookstores. Uh, I self-published it, and we'll never do that again. I'm going the regular route from now on. Ah, so uh, now I can find this book on Amazon still, right? Yes. Okay. There you go. Uh, so you've uh, put the book out. It's in Kindle and paperback form. Uh, give us a 30,000 overview of the book, a summary in your words. Okay. Um, well, it all starts in the year 1958. Uh, I was just a normal kid, enjoying life. Uh, my family was well off. Everything was good. And then one Saturday... I went to the movie theater to watch a Western and at intermission I came out because we usually had two movies in those days. 
Um, <laughs> we called it a double feature. So I came out. A double feature. After one was over, and I went to the Coke machine, and I didn't notice it, but there was a guy standing there, and quickly he put a dime in for me to get a Coke. That's hmm. right, a dime. And Coke came out, and he said, hey, I need some help here. Will you give me a hand? So he led me down the hall, and we turned into the bathroom, and he sexually assaulted me. Oh, no. Yeah. And how old were you at the time again? Nine. Nine. Oh, no. Yeah. So when it was all over, um, I didn't know what the hell had happened. Mm -hmm. He had choked me. He had done things to me sexually. Mm -hmm. He thrown me up against a wall. He'd done all these things. And I never even knew any of that kind of stuff occurred. Yeah, you have no concept of sexuality at nine. No. Yeah. So what I did, I blamed it on myself. I said, mm. well, I must have looked like I was ripe for the pickings or something. Mm. So he picked me. And so I decided now back then there was not very much in the way of uh, uh, psychological treatment and therapy. Mm-hmm. Probably not a lot of education either about what had taken place. Yeah. Right? Now everyone kind of knows, you know, what to watch out for and your parents warn you and, you know, the schools, you know, hey, if you need a safe place and watch out for certain people. But yeah, um, back then I, I was, it was still a kind of a, um, I don't want to say new, but unheard phenomenon or no one really prepared anybody for it. So anyway, I didn't get any psychological help. My parents, I never told them, uh, and I mean never. And um, I went about my life, and all of a sudden, about two or three months later, I went into my first depressive episode. Oh, wow. And it was really deep. And I wanted to think that I was worthless I had no. I thought I had no friends. Nobody loved me. I couldn't sleep. Uh, I felt sick all the time, mm -hmm. and that lasted two or three months. And then I got over it because of what I found out later on was that that bipolar and depression come in waves. Oh, and don't last day in day out. So most of the people can get relief, which is a which is really good for you if you have that condition. Mm -hmm. So that off and on ride lasted junior high, high school, um, college. And then at the end of college, I came back to Ohio and I crashed. I got really bad suicidal wow. ideations. Mm -hmm. I wanted to kill myself, although mm -hmm. I never tried. Uh, thought uh, there was nothing to live for. One day I got in a fight with my father. Next thing I knew, I was in a mental hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, wow. And I was there for three weeks. Uh, they originally diagnosed me as clinically depressed. Mm -hmm. And they had some medications for that but not many just a handful at that point had you still not talking and talk to anybody about what happened to you as a child mm -hmm. didn't talk to anybody about it for 30 years 
Wow. So 30 years. 30 years. Wow. So anyway, um, they diagnosed me as clinically depressed. None of the medication worked, and I got – I don't think I could have gotten any worse, but I continued to be really bad for the next six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Then my psychiatrist came in one day, and he says, hey, you know what? I think I made a mistake. You're bipolar. Ah. Uh-huh. I said, what in the hell is bipolar? I've never heard of it. I'm not even polar, let alone bipolar. <laughs> Were you having, you know, some people respond to, uh, let's help people who might be experiencing this in the audience and they don't, uh, they don't know what's up. So what is the conditions of bipolar that you were suffering from? What, what were some of the things you're per, you would exhibit? Well, you know, you, I ought to start out by describing the different kinds of bipolar because mm-hmm. there are really three. Mm-hmm. First one is bipolar one. That is depression, which is debilitating. Mm-hmm. And then it can go into out and out mania where you think you are the top guy in the whole world. You can do nothing wrong. You don't sleep. You don't eat. You're on a treadmill. You just run, run, run. Mm-hmm. Six months later, you fall out of the mania, you go back into depression, mm-hmm. you look around, you've ruined your home life, your wife might have divorced you, yeah. you spent all your money, you're in debt, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. I never experienced mania. Mm-hmm. The one I did experience, which I call, well, it's not, it's not bipolar two, but it's like number three, if, if you can really categorize it that way, which is... A hypomania, and that's kind of in between feeling normal, if there is a normal, and mania. Mm-hmm. Give you an example of what happened to me when I was in a hyper, a hypomanic state. I went to buy my wife a car, and she picked out the one she wanted, and we were getting ready to leave. And I looked over and saw another car, and I said, I'll take that one, too. So, hypomania, you you have no real judgments. You just do stupid things, but you don't go off the rails. Uh-huh. Now, bipolar 2 is what I have, and that is the deep, deep, debilitating depression. Mm-hmm. Followed by, could be two months later, it could be a year later, it could be a week. Uh, followed by normal times and maybe some hypomania but you i got some relief off of the deep depression because it does go in cycles it's like a roller coaster Mm -hmm. so i suffered that terrible ride until 1978 when they said i was bipolar they put me on lithium which was the miracle drug back then for anybody suffering from depression and bipolar yeah i have some of my coffee right now pardon me i have some of my coffee right now i'm just kidding <laughs> we do the jokes around here that's all right you can do them so they they, uh, they they put you on lithium did it help it helped about got me back about 50 percent oh, wow. and it worked almost overnight which is unheard of yeah because most yeah. psych medications 
take a month or two or three to start to work. Yeah, they so have to I dial in the right it. dosage. Yeah. So uh, I was able to get part of my life back. The thing that has continued all these years until the year 2000 was massive ruminations. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what ruminations are, they're a runaway mind. In other words, if you made a mistake and it hurt somebody or you said something that wasn't very nice, most people can just say, oh, I'm sorry, and get over it. Mm-hmm. When you are in the, the feeling of tremendous ruminations, it just goes round and round and round in your mind and you blame yourself. And you can't stop it. And the worst time is at night when you're trying to sleep. Yeah. Keeps you up all night. Mm-hmm. And I had that. Now, did your wife know you said for 30 years you hadn't told anybody? And somewhere in there you had to have gotten married, start having kids, and you're trying to maintain a marriage life. Yeah. And she, well, and she still I didn't doesn't tell know. Her I've been raped. Yeah. But she knew all about my condition. But she didn't know about. What what probably set that off as a child, correct? No. Just to clarify. I okay. didn't tell her until mm-hmm. 2015. Wow. And how long were you married at by that time? Must have been about 45 years. Oh, wow. Somewhere around in there, yeah. Wow. Did Were there things in your marriage that uh, you saw that uh, gave signs that you were having trouble still with depression and bipolarism? Oh, sure. I mean, she she told me not too long ago that the first six or seven years we were married. And remember that was when I was diagnosed as clinically depressed. So I didn't have lithium at the time. Mm -hmm. She told me it was hell for her. Wow. Problem is I didn't have a clue because I was all screwed up myself. Yeah. So other people when you're suffering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's one thing about, um, that I think the audience can glean from is that bipolar is uncurable, incurable. Mm -hmm. And if you have a loved one who's going through it or a good friend or something, you need to be positive and supportive. Uh, You don't, you don't tell him or her what to do. You don't say, go take a walk. You're just there for him. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing you can do for him. When I first had it, I had no support group. Yeah. And so I had no one to talk to. I just sucked it up and went through the day. Kept on going. And so at the first, so the first iteration uh, must be you, you told your wife first or uh, in 2000, you gave me two dates. One was 2000, and then I think... Uh, 2000, I didn't explain it yet. 2000, I went to another psychiatrist, mm-hmm. told him about the terrible ruminations, and he said, well, there's just a pill that's come out, and you ought to try it. It was called Paxil. Oh, yeah. And it turned it completely around. I still have ruminations, but not very often, uh, I don't have anxiety anymore. Um, so basically in 2000, I was about 90% back to whatever normal is. Mm-hmm. 
So since then, uh, well, about 1995 or so, I really got my first inclination that uh, the world was inundated with mental illness. <laughs> uh, not just me. You were watching politics, weren't you? You were watching. <laughs> Boy, that can screw you up now. That'll. Oh, that's a that's a good dipstick indicator of how much mental illness there is in the world. So anyway, um, <laughs> since I'd been through all this stuff, mm -hmm. I I had hired a little girl, sixteen years old, to work for me in my clothing store, mm -hmm. and at Christmas time because she ran errands and wrap packages and stuff like that, and she was wonderful, bubbly. Good looking, uh, would do anything, smiled all the time. Mm -hmm. One Saturday morning, her best friend came in who also worked for me at the time. She was crying and said that her the girl had gone to bed the night before, took out a gun, and killed herself. Jesus. Right before that. Oh, and I never found out why she did it. Nothing. Wow. Right before that, a good friend of mine from college called me up and uh, we talked all the time. So I knew what was going on. And his mm -hmm. son of about 16 had been having troubles. Um, I don't know if he was in drugs or he was depressed. But mm -hmm. anyway, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. But he started breaking into houses and eventually he got caught and the police called his parents and said, come down and get him. And when they got there, they got out of the car and he was in the squad car and he got out, said, mom, dad, I love you, but I can't take it anymore. Pulled out a gun and shot himself in the head. Holy crap. Wow. So I realized what I had, that could have been me. Mm -hmm. And I started talking to high school uh, health and uh, psychology classes on teenage depression. Well, at the end of my talks, I would ask anybody who wanted to to come up and tell me if they have any problems they can't discuss with anybody else. Mm -hmm. Now, not many of them took it, but one day, two girls came up, not together. The first one was the star athlete. She was the number one student academically. She had everything going for her. She looks at me and says, I can't take it. I have to be the best. My parents are forcing me to go to an Ivy League school. They're just beat me down. I don't know what to do. I want to die. Wow. Um, and she was a top student and had everything going for her. Yeah. The next girl came up a few minutes later and said, uh, I have no friends. Everybody hates me. My parents hate me. I want to run away. I want to die. Wow. So that made me realize that I'm not the only one who could have gone either way. Um, so I continued speaking to high school classes. And then in mm. 
2008, my wife and I and our kids and their families all moved to Scottsdale in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to continue talking to high school classes. And when I checked on it, they wouldn't let me because I was too old. What? Which well, didn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> I mean, wage is wisdom, man. I, yeah. I, I can tell you I got a lot of wisdom. <laughs> uh, I've learned the hard way a lot of times, so. I got a lot of wisdom. So anyway, I answered an ad to become a facilitator for a mental health support group. I got the job, did the mm-hmm. training, and I now do two support groups. That's awesome. So was there a time that you connected the two in your mind that, hey, what happened to me as a child probably did some damage that has led to this bipolar and uh, mental health issues that I have? Yes, I've talked to many uh, therapists about this mm-hmm. as I was going through it. Um, there's no definitive answer to it, mm-hmm. uh, but there is a uh, a connection. Yeah, uh, they believe that the trauma, then, if you are prone to uh, having depression or something else, doesn't mean you were going to have it. Mm. But if you're one of those unlikely enough that it affected you that way, it all works together, and that's how I became bipolar. There you go. There you go. Uh, and so you, you're going through this journey. Uh, at what point do you talk to your wife about what happened to you as a young man, and, and does she kind of connect that, hey, maybe this is the reason he's had trouble these years with uh, depression? Well, again, I never told her about the assault, so she didn't really – Mm-hmm. know uh, what had prompted all this. But have you told her now, is my question? 2015. 2015. So what was her response? She was very supportive. Mm-hmm. And she's been supportive all through these, what are actually 53 years, because we were two dating two years before we got married. Wow. 53, she was very supportive. Even during the times that, as, as I told you, she was thought things were very bad, she was very supportive. That's good. I one time changed psychiatrist because my first guy had died. Mm-hmm. And this new psychiatrist said, throw away your pills. I got a wonder drug for you. <laughs> well, stupidly, I was really hurting at the time with that. This was in 89, I think. Mm-hmm. I was really hurting with the uh, the rumination. So I said, okay. He says, don't worry about it. You'll uh-huh. be perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, I threw away my pills, took his wonder drug. And for the next eight m- months, I was back down in the toilet like I'd been in before. Oh, no. And to add to it that I went into uh, detox from my regular medications mm-hmm. and had a terrible couple of days and my wife stood by me the whole time. Wow. Good and for her. Yeah. She's been very good. So you find your way out of this. Uh, at what point, at what point, I mean, I imagine you're still on medication, right? Yes. For, for the, for your bipolar. Um, and you decide uh, at, at, at this point to tell your story and put it into a book. Uh, tell us about how that journey goes and what made you decide to write the book. Well, I had been a sports writer and 
the sports information director at Ohio Wesleyan University. Mm-hmm. So I had some writing background. But what really prompted it is about four years ago, I was, even though um, the ruminations weren't bad at that time, I had still had three three things I needed to deal with mm-hmm. that I never got closure to and that bothered me. So I went to a trauma therapist. And she started me out from day one of my life that I could remember and took me through every incident that happened Wow! through my life. Mm-hmm. That took several months. When we got done, when we got done, she said, "You know, you ought to write a book about this. You got so much shit in there that uh, <laughs> somebody might like it." Yeah, you can help other people that way. You were helping people up until that time, and uh, it might you know give you an expanded audience to help more people. So that's why I wrote it. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't difficult to write. Because I knew everything that I was going to put in it. It was in my mind. Yeah. So I didn't have to do a lot of research and stuff. Uh, The really hard part is getting the book published. Yep. Yep. That's definitely a challenge. Very challenging. Uh Uh-huh. But I got it done. Mm -hmm. And it's out there now. And I hope some people will read it and get a lot of things out of it there you go well hopefully they will too uh you know there's a lot of people that go through this journey and trauma uh you know we've had a lot of uh, doctors and scientists on the show trauma does distortions to the brain ptsd uh even car accidents or injuries there the brain takes damage the brain gets in injured and it it sometimes it's emotional damage but there's a marker there there's a there's a scar in the emotional damage that stays with them. And a lot of times people kind of do what you did. They cover it up and they go, okay, well, whatever, I mean, it happened and, and let's move on and make progress. But they don't realize that damage is still there. And it, and it carries uh, through the arc of their life. And it has influence uh, on them emotionally, sometimes intellectually, sometimes sexually, on how they go through life. And so it's important that we tell these stories because, as you probably know, when you talk to those young two teenagers that came forward and, you know, talked to you about their issues at the, at the speech, um, the, one of the most important things about people who are, have trauma or have things that they don't want to talk to anybody else about that they're, you know, they might be embarrassed about or they feel that there might be shame uh, regarding that. And the most important thing you can learn is that you're not alone that there's plenty of other people who have had similar traumas and you know, that's a really good message for people that you're not alone. Um, I remember watching Oprah Winfrey during uh, a show about the Michael Jackson, the two boys uh, and Michael Jackson, I think it was called leaving Neverland. And there was a guy who stood up and he had been assaulted by a police officer when he was a boy and it was really hard for him because the police officer was seen as a person of trust and he had hidden it and lived with it through his NFL career. And when uh, and it was tearing him up inside, he was having all sorts of issues and problems. And it wasn't until he came forth and told people and started talking about it that he could finally heal. And he made a comment that I thought was really interesting. He says, it's like a poison that's inside you. 
And until you let it out, until you free it, it just sits in you and boils and toxifies and, and keeps poisoning you. And talking to other people, uh, discussing it, getting help, uh, being open about it is probably the only way you can really get resolution. Because if until then, you know, you feel alienated, you feel alone, you you can't figure out what's going on. You know, a lot of people don't connect the two sometimes until later in life. And so I think it's important that you wrote a book like this to share with people because the more people can go, hey, I'm not alone. This happens to other people. It's uh it's not okay, but I there's people who've become okay and 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 uh help try and heal themselves and find a way to work through it, and so can I. And it's kind of like a light in the pathway of that tunnel. Yeah, that is exactly right. Uh, in my groups, and I've seen over a thousand people in these wow. groups, the majority of them, when they come to their first meeting, will say, damn, I thought I was alone. There are more people out there who suffer like me. Mm-hmm. And when they tell their stories, they eventually get, if they come back, when they get comfortable with telling their stories, I found out that a very high percentage of their, what's caused their problems is having been assaulted sexually mm -hmm. or verbally or physically when they were a kid and that age for a kid can be 20 or 30 years old too. Cause it, yeah. uh, the average onslaught onslaught of, uh, bipolar disorder is age 25. Mm -hmm. So these people and in my groups, I do all mental health issues. I just don't do bipolar. Mm -hmm. So, I can handle about 15 people in a session because I let everybody speak and tell what they're, what they're going through. And they all talk in addition to describing their condition and how it's affecting them. The majority of them will talk about the difficulties in getting therapy and relief in the United States. If you've got enough money, you can get good therapy. Yeah. It's kind, of one the, it. it's kind of one of the unfortunate things about uh, our economy here in America. Yeah. You know, it's a very uh, money-driven sort of thing. But the nice thing is people have, like, your book that's out there. People can read it. It's fairly inexpensive. And hopefully get on that journey, on that ride, to finding out they're not alone, finding out how they can help themselves. Um, as we go out, uh, any further thoughts you want to share with people or encouragements to get them to pick, pick up the book? Yeah, one thing I want to make sure that I get forth on this talk is that there are many reasons why a lot of people can't get the proper health care. And then we've talked about money, but we can also talk about the insurance companies. Oh, yeah. The insurance companies have made it very difficult for people to get covered with mental illness. Mm -hmm. They have made it very difficult for therapists to get paid a fair amount for treating these people. So anybody who is, say, making 
30 or 40,000 or less, doesn't have a whole hell of a lot of options to get help. That's true. They fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And then if you look around, uh, our government doesn't do much. They'll say, oh, we've got uh, uh, disability uh, income and things like that. But it's a pittance. Yeah, it is. Because there are, there is 20% of the people in the U.S. suffer from some sort of mental illness. Yep, especially if they watch politics. <laughs> it's good to have a callback joke on the show. Uh, well, this has been super insightful, uh, Steve, and I'm glad that you share your journey. I'm glad that you put it in a book form so that you can spread the word and the knowledge. Um, it is important if you're out there listening that uh, you're not alone. And if you and if you feel that you need professional help or you feel that you, things aren't just working for you, please reach out and get professional help. Um, I People often ask me, you know, they'll, they'll joke around on Facebook and they're like, what would you tell yourself if you could go back to your 16-year-old self? And they're always kind of a little surprised at my answer. And my answer is go get help. See a psychiatrist. Uh, trauma is trauma. And uh, it comes in many different forms. And uh, we all go through uh, our challenges in life. In fact, uh, if you're out there alone and you think that, you know, no one else has problems, a lot of people do. It's, I don't know anybody who has a perfect ride. So, um, but the best thing to do is to seek professional help. See a professional. Uh, you can open up to family and loved ones, but sometimes they're not fully equipped to handle what you went through and maybe what you're going through. And uh, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't, there's no shame in it. And usually if you talk to a professional, they're not going to shame you. They're not going to guilt you. Uh, most of that is kind of what you're thinking in your own head. So if you're out there dealing with any of this, please get help. Pick up Steve's book. Reach out to people like Steve uh, who help people, you know, go through this journey. And it is a journey, but it can be better and it does get better. So I want to encourage people to do that. Thank you very much, Steve, for coming on the show. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, please. Uh, my website is author stevewwilson.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, uh, and it is Steve Wilson four nine nine zero. But I'm having trouble getting that one to show up. So you can just—I hmm. uh, have two Facebook accounts because one is my when I was in the custom clothing business. Oh, okay. There's a, there's another account there. Um, I do uh, put a lot of stuff on my website. Uh, I'll give you my email if anybody wants to reach out to me. Okay. It's S-W-W-I-L-S-O-N at gmail.com. There you go. There you go. Uh, well, Steve, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your journey, and hopefully we can save some people uh, and help some people get down the road. And uh, honestly, I know it seems hard what people might be going through right now, but it, 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 it's so much better on the other side. Reach out for help and find a professional. Thanks, Steve, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, man. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. There you Have go. And thanks for being brave enough to share your journey. <clears throat> Happy to. There you go. And thanks, Monis, for tuning in. Uh, order up the book wherever fine books are sold, Teetering on a Tightrope. 
My Bipolar Journey came out December 27th, 2022 by Stephen W. Wilson. Thanks to my audience for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, youtube.com, Fortress Chris Foss. And I'll say one thing and follow up too. If you know of somebody who needs this book, please order it for them, share it with them, and uh, help share the story. Even if you don't know what their issue is, if you think they might be suffering trauma or having other issues, there's, there's things that some people won't talk about. Maybe a book can open that door for them. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And I'll see you guys next time. There we go, Steve.